we're reading from John, chapter 4, starting from verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samarian woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons, his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must follow in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, who speak to you, am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or... Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving the water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. 
Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have bought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because the woman testified to him. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more believed. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Thank you very much, Anna. Um, If you're new around us, we're in a series looking at this amazing account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection written by John. Uh, And in it, we're discovering week on week, it is all about Jesus. And the more we see it to be about Jesus, the more we come to to realize that actually who we see Jesus as is to shape everything about how we then live our lives, allowing him to be at the center, uh, centering everything. And at different points, we're finding as we look through this letter, there's different amounts of the account that we're going to look at, and today is a longer account, and we're finding with the longer accounts, it's just good to get someone who's good at reading uh, to read, hence why Anna has just read that big chunk, and one of the things I remember when I was doing some training about preaching, a number of years ago, uh, someone who was critiquing what I was doing, and so you'd present in front of a hundred or so people, and all of those people you're presenting for, which is literally there, pens poised, critique everything that you were saying. It was an unbelievably scary and uncomfortable environment to be in. And I remember getting to the end of uh, the the preach I was doing, and the guy who was running the session um, said, that that was good. And actual fact, I'd actually called for a response. You know, you wouldn't expect anything other from me. You know, I'm not expecting them to critique me. I'm expecting to change them. And so I was doing that at the end. And um, the guy uh, who was running the training said, Adrian, that was really good. He said, the only thing I'd say is this. When you tell stories, you come alive, and we come with the journey, come on you with the journey. But when you read the Bible, it just sounds a bit boring. (laughs) I wonder if you could do something of your storytelling when you tell the story of the Bible. And I took that on and thought, man, I need to get really good, or sometimes just get others to do it, because it'll be way better. So we're going to look at this story, and if you were around a couple of weeks ago, actually this is a key story for us as a family, as a church this coming year in 2020, where we've said that this year we want to be characterized by the well. And through this chapter four, we looked a couple of weeks ago saying we want this to understand that the well that we're to build as a community, as a family, is all about Jesus, that Jesus is the well, the well that brings eternal life, that brings life and life to the full. 
And what we then said is we want to look through this story to be like the woman, to be one who seeks to enjoy the well and seeks to share the well with others, seeks to enjoy all that Jesus is and seeks to share all that Jesus is. And actually, that's going to characterize our prayer week this week, that we're giving ourselves to pray in, that we'd be individuals that enjoy who Jesus is, that we would be a family together that enjoy who Jesus is, and that we would be a family who then get to share who Jesus is with everyone and anyone around. But today I want us to look a bit more depth in this story. What we're going to see is that Jesus is a well for all. And that this story really wants us to see that. You see, we've already got to those moments in worship of singing Waymaker, that Jesus is the one who's made the way. Made a way so we can stand. What does that mean? What it means that we get to stand in the wonder of the life that he offers us. See, why standing is so important is it is a stance that says, actually, this is who I am. Nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to justify, nothing to allow others to kind of point the finger at, but rather just simply to say, I can stand, I have nothing to prove. Why? Because Jesus has made a way. I want us to see through this story is that that is Jesus' longing for each and every one of us to live in the reality of that he's the one who makes the way. And maybe we've come today thinking, yeah, but you don't know my life. You don't know what it's made up of. You don't know what I've done or what has been done to, you, to me. And for you, I want you to know that Jesus has made a way. Jesus welcomes all. For me, I so often have to get back to that point of Jesus, you take me in all my brokenness and frailty. In the words that I don't quite mean to say and yet still say. And in that moment, you still welcome me. Welcome me to still taste of your life in order that I begin to leave some of my old life. But it's also that we'd be those to understand that the welcome that Jesus offers for all is a welcome that we're then to share with all. And it's that that I want us to look at as well today. But I think we've got to start with actually where this story ends because there's just moments where you can like start and you start at the beginning and you think, oh yeah, this is what it's going to look like. But it's not actually until you get to the end of this story that you realize, oh, oh that's what's going on. I don't know if you've watched um, Arrival, the film. Uh, the film Arrival, amazing cinematography, a fantastic film. But it's when you get to the end of the film, suddenly there's this revelation in the conclusion of the story that causes you to suddenly unravel and realize, oh, wow, that's what the last two hours have all been about. And it causes you to think, now I've got to go and watch it again because I didn't understand anything. And so you watch the film again, and suddenly there's all of these moments that you think, oh, no way, that's what was going on. And in the same way, this story is like that. You see, at the very end, you get this moment where the Samaritans, who are believing in who Jesus is, suddenly declare something about who Jesus is. And it's the only moment in the whole of this Gospel of John where this declaration of who Jesus is is proclaimed. And so in verse 42, it says that this man, Jesus, really is the Savior of the world. Man, what a proclamation. Jesus is one who is the savior of everyone throughout all time, throughout all people. He's the savior. 
the one who's come to rescue, not a select group, not a nationality, but all people from every people group, whatever background. And these Samaritans are the first ones to see it. Oh, Jesus, he's here for everyone. He's here to welcome everyone. The fact that we're in this room is testimony to that. But the challenge of this is, do we truly meet, do we truly believe that Jesus is the savior of the whole world? Or do we sometimes limit the size of that world? We just sometimes, do we sometimes limit the size of that world within our own lives? I think, oh yeah, Jesus can save me. Oh, but not when I've done that. Or maybe it's that we look around us and think, yeah, I think Jesus can save the world, but I'm not sure about them. And there's that nervous laughter, isn't there? You know, this, it's like, no, no, I never think that. I'm never ever prejudiced against anyone. Relative years, I promise you, every single one of us are because there's this fallen nature of humanity where we are suspicious of people who are not like us. And so within all of us, there becomes that limitation if we're not careful of Jesus' call to welcome all. We begin to put up fences and walls of who might actually be excluded from that all. And we're living within a society at this moment that is continuously seeking to put up walls and fences to say, maybe you don't fit. Maybe you aren't like them. And any sense of difference is one to be pushed away. But Jesus is one who comes and kicks down all fences and walls and says, no, I am one that welcomes all. Therefore, it's so important that we get hold of what's going on in this story. So let's just look quickly at the setting. You see, the setting's so important because the setting of chapter four follows chapter three. That's like a radical moment, isn't it? Something to put in your notes. Chapter four follows chapter three. Groundbreaking. Why is that so important? Well, because in chapter three, everything that Mike looked at last week, which was excellent, if you didn't get to listen to it, go online and listen to it. It will do your heart good. Is that we find an interaction between a guy and Jesus at night. And John, we see, has these moments of uh, interactions with people. And you have ones that happen at night, ones that happen in day. And John uses the ones at night to kind of reveal something of darkness and of people who are living in darkness and people who aren't quite seeing the light and truth of who Jesus is. And interactions of day where it reveals something of the wonder of people who are accepting the wonder of the light of who Jesus is. So last week, we see this guy who comes who thinks he's actually full of light, coming to Jesus in darkness, and within it, realizing that maybe he isn't as in light as he thought he was. And the questions left is, is he gonna remain in darkness, or is he gonna enter in light? And we get into this story, which is all at light. Is it noon? It's definitely daylight at noon. And in this moment, we find a lady who comes, as we're gonna go on to see, who feels like she is shadowed in darkness. And yet Jesus meets her in the light to draw her out of there and say, no, you're someone who is to be in light. See, what we discover through this story is that through this woman, it's not only to transform her life, but our lives. 
See, there could be these crass characterizations of who this woman was, but if we do that, that's not actually going to help us because rather we need to see in her what John is wanting us to get to see because as we see the wonder of the world that she is representing and the world that she knew, it begins to transform who we are. Transform who we are in respect to how we welcome all, but also how we know that we are welcomed. So let's look then at this woman. This woman who reveals the world, this world that the woman represents. You see, this world this woman represents is one that's characterized by a number of different divisions or prejudices. Prejudices that were just there. And so you find that it reveals something of a racial prejudice. See, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. It was history. It was historic. There was this sense for Jews that they saw as Samaritans as impure, people who weren't as good as them. And some of that was because of what had gone on in history of a group of people who'd been taken into exile, a northern kingdom, and then been repopulated by groups of other people. And so the Jews saw them as, as those who were impure. Also, that they'd started to see that though they had the same basis of faith, as the Jews, the Samaritans saw some of the workings out of it as different, like places of worship, sacred places. So the Jews saw the Samaritans as people that were less than them, unimportant, but also people who weren't just inferior to them, but also people they would not associate with. They wouldn't eat with them, drink with them, definitely wouldn't talk with them. And the Jews saw the Samaritans as inferior, but also as an insult. And so if you really wanted to insult one of your Jewish friends, you'd say, oh, you know who you are? You're a Samaritan. And they're like, what? What are you calling me? It's like that. Like racial prejudice. And Jesus steps in, steps through the fence of racial division and prejudice. We then see that it's about religious prejudice the woman's reaction, no, you shouldn't associate with me. We like see things different. We see like the sacred place as this mountain. You see it as Jerusalem. We're like different. Jesus steps in. He says, no, no, this is going to go beyond religious differences. I'm here for everyone. Gender prejudice. We're talking about a, a society where it was patriarchal. Men were dominant. Like, in this culture, a Jew would not even talk to his wife in public, let alone another woman. Like, you didn't associate with someone of the opposite sex. You definitely didn't talk to him. And yet Jesus strikes up a conversation. Why? Because he's here to break down every division. But then also there's this poverty trap. See, this woman was living within a patriarchal system. Therefore, you had to be associated with a man to know security economically, to have enough money to live. And we find through her story what Jesus exposes, not to bring exposure to her, but rather to draw her out, is that she's one who's had five marriages and is with someone who actually isn't associating with her in marriage which would left her just with vulnerability. She was someone seen as poor, poor economically, poor socially. And yet Jesus steps in and says, but you're welcome. See, we can look at it and go, wow, that, that's interesting. 
Good bit of Bible information there about the Jewish-Samaritan divide. Hadn't quite thought about the economic situation that this woman was facing. But let's get uncomfortable for a moment. What about here now? Let's not look outside the world. Let's just look inside. Let's look at how we see our city, this nation, the nations. It doesn't take long to see racial divides, religious divides, gender divides, divides in respect to poverty. And if we're not careful, we allow what's going on in the world where, to be honest, the lines are continuously being drawn of what are you doing associating with them? Or you can't go to that area. Or surely you wouldn't be talking to them. It's this that Jesus steps in and says, no, no, I've come to welcome all. We have to face up to our own prejudice our own prejudice of how we see others. Maybe through the newspaper they read, the shops they shop in. It may be because of the life choices they've made. Maybe because of the color of their skin. Maybe because of what you've read or we've read in the news and suddenly we think, oh, well, if there's that kind of group of people coming towards me, I know, I know this is gonna spell trouble. Maybe because of someone's political views. Maybe because of something we think is intolerant or someone's nationalism or someone's gender. And if we're not careful, we pretend that we're okay. Now, we're not, we're not worried about that. But this story calls us to examine our own hearts and say, yeah, but is there something? Like, are we known as someone who speaks to others that others might say, hey, what are you doing speaking to them? See, this is to challenge us, not to condemn us. That's not the goal here. It isn't that we kind of leave feeling, oh, no, I'm rubbish. No, no, it's not that we feel liberated, convicted, yes. Convicted to understand that Jesus welcomes all, and so we too, we, so should we. Which means that it changes how you and I relate to people within our worlds. It means that we don't just associate with people who look like us or think like us or act like us. It also means that when people come in amongst us who look different, that we're quick to make sure they know that they're welcome. And how easy is it for each of us to just stay with the people we know? Now, I can find it, don't you? You kind of arrive on a Sunday and you kind of seeing people, you think, oh, I haven't seen them for ages, let's go and chat to them. And then you see someone come through the door and say, I, I don't know who they are. And this story says, no, we, we go and we welcome. Why? Because Jesus welcomes, so should we. But in it, this woman doesn't just reveal and represent a world, a world that I think isn't that different to ours, but also there's a world this woman knew. You see, there can be a danger that we characterize this lady in one way, whereas actually, when you look at it, she was one who was quite different. You see, what she knew was rejection. If you've ever thought of that before, this was a woman who'd been 
married five times. And we don't know how each of those marriages have ended. But to five times have a marriage end, probably many of them through divorce. And you've got to remember, in this culture, it wasn't that the woman could say, I'm divorcing you, it was a man's right. Literally could say, I divorce you, done. Like, if you've lived with five commitment relationships, commitment for life, and yet they've not lasted for life, like, you're just going to know what rejection is. And then the person that you're with doesn't want to commit wholly to you. Wants to have all the benefits, but none of the commitment. Like, what does that say about you? See, what Jesus does in this when he calls her out and says, hey, bring your husband, is he isn't trying to expose her. He wants to love her and get her to know that she's known. Because there's something big going on here. See, Jesus is one who wants to welcome all within the frailty and the brokenness that we know. Like, do you know what it is to be rejected? Like, for some of us here, we've just been robbed for years by rejection. And Jesus wants us to know, I know you. And I call you out of that place. For others of us, it is that maybe we don't know that, but maybe the point of this is that we begin to see people as Jesus did, that we begin to put ourselves in their skin. I'm not looking and saying, hey, why are you acting like that, but rather, or your actions aren't okay, but rather, do ask, why are you acting like that? What is it that's gone on in your life? See, it isn't that she was just rejected, she's also someone who knew shame. She goes to the well at noon, Here's the reality, in that culture, you didn't go to the well at noon. You either go first thing in the morning or just before nightfall. That's the time you go and get water. Because you either need it first thing or you need it just before you go to bed. You don't go at the halfway point of the day. Why does she go at noon? Well, because everyone else goes at the other points. This is a woman who didn't want to be around others. Why? Because she knew what it was to feel and know shame. Shame isn't I've done something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. Like, and Jesus goes to this place in this moment to meet with this woman. Like what I love about this story, this is a quick aside, is that her response, and you know that she's been transformed by Jesus, is what? She goes and tells everyone? The woman who couldn't go and get water when everyone else was there, because it would have been all the other women who went to gather water first thing or last thing, she can't be around them because she knows the looks, she knows the comments. And yet, the moment she meets Jesus and is transformed by him, Shame's gone. Go straight to meet them. And wants them to come and enjoy what she has come to drink from of Jesus. But for some of us here, we know what that feels like. We know the moment what it feels like to, feel, to live with that dimension of it isn't just that I have done things wrong or something's been done to me wrong, but rather I, at the core of my being, think that I am wrong. 
And we try and exist without anyone noticing. Maybe we put the mask on and say, yeah, I'm totally fine. Push everyone away. Knowing that actually if anyone chipped away at the China veneer, what they'd see was just utter, utter brokenness. Or maybe it's that we're not there with the veneer, but rather we just try and hide in the background. If no one notices, then we'll be okay. But Jesus wants us to understand that he notices and wants to meet us in that place because he is one who comes to welcome all. It's also for us. So we those that look out for those who are living characterized by shame. Gets dressed up in many different ways. As I said, it often is that china veneer. Sometimes it is just they wear the brokenness very, very clearly. And what we need to be those who come and meet them and meet people where they're at in order that we can draw them to the one who can come and transform. But it's also this woman knew the power of sin. See, the danger of this story is we say, well, yeah, she was a sinner. No, no, no. She was one who knew the power of sin. Sin has a power that is infecting humanity. It's why the world that she represents is not that dissimilar to ours, because it continuously is, sin is continuously seeking to break the image of God in humanity and breed division. And so this woman knows the power of sin. She knows the power of sin that has caused her to live with her brokenness through the relationships you've known. Through the economic situation she feels it in, it's because of the power of sin through others, through the prejudice she's living through in. It's through the power of sin working through others. Yes, there is a power of sin that she has to take responsibility for. She's got things that she's doing. But it isn't just down to her. It's this power of sin that is encompassing her. And Jesus meets her in that place in order to liberate her. Because that's Jesus' desire. See, Jesus doesn't want us just to see this woman and see, oh, right, this is the world she's representing. This is the world that she knew in order that we can see it in ourselves and see it in others. It's also that he wants us to get to that point of understanding. As we see that, it's then that he comes to be the well for all. See, Jesus reveals himself as the well for all as he speaks. It's Jesus who initiates the conversation. Regardless of what others might think of him, Jesus speaks. I tell you what, the power of breaking down divisions is often through just speaking. But Jesus doesn't just speak, he also loves and seeks to know and understand her. There's no point in this where this woman, as she speaks to Jesus and Jesus says, you know, but this isn't the reality of your life, isn't it? There isn't a husband. This is what's going on. Isn't that point she's like, oh, go away, and runs away? She's drawn to him because it isn't out of criticism. She's drawn by his love and understanding. Which then means that he is able to offer life, which is what he does. He doesn't say, hey, this is who you are. This is what you've done. Goodbye. He says, now, I want to give you eternal life. 
I want you to cause you to know the life that I'm able to offer you that will satisfy in the deepest possible level because I understand who you are. I understand the world that you live in. I understand the world that you know and I want to come and meet you in that place and transform you with the life that I'm able to offer. A life that she accepts in that moment but also Jesus points to What's going to happen in this moment where he talks about worship in spirit and in truth, and he says, there's a time that's coming. And actually, a better translation is, the hour is coming. See, in that moment, Jesus points to the hour that's coming of his death and resurrection that will enable him to deal with all of the brokenness of society, all of the workings out of the power of sin, in order that he can what? In order that he can offer his resurrection life to everyone. A resurrection life that is filled with everything we looked at a few weeks ago. So we looked at this three, four weeks ago, and I encourage you to grab a sheet. Life to receive. The life to receive that Jesus paints in terms of John's gospel of love, of peace, of joy, relationship, home, freedom, rest, eternity, and purpose. That's what he does. He offers her this life. And in the so too, we get to do the same. We get to receive that, understanding Jesus speaks to us, loves us, knows us, and offers us life. But also we then get to see, hey, there aren't any barriers or fences to Jesus. Therefore, we go to everyone. And we welcome everyone through speaking to them, through loving them, through understanding them, and then seeking to offer them Jesus and the life that he's able to offer Because when we see this, there becomes a response, and there's only two responses you can have. There's either the response of the disciples of this woman. The disciples were shocked. They see Jesus talking to the woman, and they're shocked. But none of them want to question him. Let's be honest here, because I tell you what, if you go on to read Acts, you realize how much work has to be done in their hearts on this one. They didn't think this was okay. They didn't think it was okay that Jesus was talking to this woman. They didn't think it was okay that Jesus was welcoming all. Jesus would have to continue to work on their hearts. In actual fact, if you read the story of Acts, you find out that the disciples are continuously having to get broken into by visions and dreams in order they'd understand there aren't any limitations to where Jesus can go. Jesus can be accepted by everyone and anyone. There'll come a moment for one of the disciples here called Peter, who in seeing this moment has to have another moment where he's on a roof. And on the roof he sees a blanket fall from the sky, and on that blanket is loads of different food. And Jesus just says, go and eat. And suddenly Peter's like, what? But that's all not good stuff. That's associated with loads of people we shouldn't associate with. And God says, no, no. Go and be with all of them. Why? Because Jesus is the savior of the world. We need to continuously have moments where we are shocked in order that it exposes why we're shocked. Even them? Yes. Especially them. Why? Because of you and me. It is shocking, absolutely shocking, that Jesus should welcome me. And it still undoes me in my frailty and my brokenness, 
in the ways that I can still act. And yet Jesus welcomes me. And therefore, I want to be like the woman who was so overjoyed, she left the jar. (laughs) She came for water and she left it because she knew she found something so much better. And she couldn't help but go and share it. I want to be one, and I hope you do, who is continuously undone by the wonder that he is the way maker. He has made a way so that you and I can stand. And if he's done that for me, and if he's done that for you, surely he can do it for every single person on this planet. Whatever, whatever their life looks like. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Therefore, I'd leave us with two questions. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he the savior of the world? Is he the savior of your world? Because how will what you know, how will what I know shape our lives? Can I just pray for us? Jesus, we just come and we just remind ourselves of the wonder of who you are. Jesus, you're one who welcomes everyone. And Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you've welcomed us. And I thank you that you continuously keep welcoming us. And Jesus, I pray, would we allow that not to cause us to become proud or to build barriers up to others getting to know you, but rather to continuously cause our hearts to be overjoyed in order that we'd realize that within the world that we find ourselves in, of division, of rejection, of shame, where the power of sin feels like it's continuously winning, that Jesus, you are stronger that Jesus, you make ways where it feels like there are no ways because you're one who's able to welcome everyone and that Jesus, in your welcome, you're able to transform everyone. And so Jesus, I pray, would you come and cause us to live with more and more of the wonder that you are truly the savior of the world. Amen. Thank you.